0: I want to bring you a message this morning about vision, and I want to begin to edge us from cloudiness to clarity. This has a direct impact on our assembly here, those that are watching online, those that are in other parts of the world. We want you to know what God is doing, and so we begin this morning to go full and happy disclosure. Habakkuk chapter 2, I want to read four verses. Habakkuk says, I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower. And look out to see what he, God, will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, Say those next three words with me. Wait for it. Say it again. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. You may be seated. Fathers, we come before you with ancient words that you have preserved our generation. We welcome the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit now. We ask, Lord, that the gift of faith that Paul talked about, which also comes from the Holy Spirit, would be granted across the board in every chair in this room this morning. I pray, Lord, for every word of doubt that the enemy might hiss for every component of skepticism in our own flesh, for any fear or worry that might try to climb to first position in our hearts, we rebuke it, we renounce it, and we evict it in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, make us to be people who have ears to hear and hearts to believe this morning. In Jesus' name, church said, Anytime where God wants to do a work, we usually see him working through what I call human instrumentation. Now, God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do, with absolutely no human involvement at all. That's how creation came into being. He spoke it in fiat, and there it was, and there it is today. But typically, when God wants to advance the kingdom, when God wants to bring forth um, um, increase in the message of redemption and the work of redemption, he typically is going to use the body of Christ in our generation. He's going to use the church. He's going to use believers. And because of that, we have to receive from the Lord marching orders. We have to understand what he is doing, and we have to understand that by faith. We have to discern also what he's calling us to do, what is our part doing uh, in this work of the Lord in our generation. And ultimately, we have to agree in joyful, submissive faith to say, you are the Lord, we are the servants, you are the Father, we are the children, and we will follow you. And when that equation is completed between God and his people, great glory is brought to him, And great benefit and blessing is brought to us. Habakkuk is in a time period that's not unlike ours in our day. He's living in a world that has turned its back against God. Even God's covenant people in Judah had turned their back on God. They were steeped in idolatry. And Habakkuk is an oracle of God. He's a prophet of God. And he's looking around his generation and he's seeing evil abound and God seems altogether absent. God's not stopping it at every turn of the corner. Seemingly, the Lord is letting people get away with evil while Habakkuk is longing for righteousness. And so in the first chapter, he asked five questions. I believe these will be up on your screen. These are questions he asked God. How long must I cry before you will hear me? The second question is, why are you letting me see all this sin and yet doing nothing about it? The third question isn't it true that you're the everlasting God who does not change? The fourth question, how are you letting our enemy triumph over us, your covenant people? And then in verse, uh, in the fifth question is, are you going to let them, the evildoers, both in Judah and coming against Judah, are you going to let them get away with this continuously? Habakkuk is living in conflict. Habakkuk is born again, if we can say it that way. Habakkuk is a child of God, and he's looking around on an evil culture, even among those that are part of God's covenant through Abraham, the Jews. And he's also looking and hearing from God that God will be bringing Babylon down to destroy his people and take them captive. God is giving this prophetic word to Habakkuk and Habakkuk is in conflict. He's saying, Lord, I know we are bad. I know we are disobedient. I know we've strayed from you, but how in the world can you lead a, use a people that is more wicked than us to come against us to bring discipline? And so he is giving these questions to the Lord and by the time we get to chapter number two, it is time for Habakkuk to receive the vision from the Lord. You see, in times of conflict, When there are generational shifts, when God in his sovereignty determines that he will do a work different and distinct from the work he had been doing in previous generations, he will begin to speak to his people, sometimes many at once, sometimes in Habakkuk's case like him, only one, that prophet who would be raised up, but we are to steward what we receive from the Lord in a way that submits and follows and yet brings us great joy as it brings him great glory, even when the plan is difficult. And the vision that Habakkuk has received from the Lord in chapter number one was not a pleasant ease addiction. Uh, Habakkuk's generation was addicted to ease and pleasure. This was not going to reinforce that to them. God said, I'm shaking things up. And so let's look in these four verses and let's walk through some of the dynamics of a vision as God moves a people group from cloudiness into clarity. Let's begin in verse number one, very simply with what I call the receiving of a vision, and when I'm talking about a vision, it can be anything from a vision where God speaks to somebody in mental pictures, Uh, It it can be a dream, or it could be simply the work of God the Spirit in our hearts whereby he leads us to firm conclusions about what he's doing and what he's asking us to do. So I'm not going to shrink the definition of vision. I'm just going to say when God communicates clearly to a person, there are three things or four things here in verse one that I want to point out. First is this, one must have determination. What do I mean by that? Habakkuk makes an I will statement. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post. Habakkuk says, I have asked these questions to the Lord. I know that he has heard me. Now I am going to position myself and I am going to say, it is your turn to talk, O God. That's some bold faith. And again, I think one of the things that I would love to see in the Church of America is that we could return to what I would call a more Jewish-like faith, not in theology, but in our approach to God. Because when you read the Psalms and when you read the historical books in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs and the, uh, the poetic books, you're going to see that God's people didn't treat him like an easily offended dignitary. They interacted with him based on the covenant, and that covenant often brought boldness to their prayers. They would come before the Lord, and Habakkuk just really rehearsed a complaint before the Lord. We don't even like to do that. We think it's unspiritual to say to God, hey, look, I've got some issues about how life's going down here. I don't understand things. I'm confused. I'm not sure what you're doing. And yet Habakkuk pulled no punches, and he said, you've got my five questions. Now I want to hear an answer from you. He was determined. Uh, I believe one of the things that will help us in the body of Christ is if we really get back to some very simple roots where we believe that God still speaks today. Jesus said, my sheep will know my voice. He didn't just say, my sheep will understand my word written. He said, my sheep will know my voice. God still speaks to us today. And what he speaks will always be consistent with scripture, but he does want to talk to you. Prayer is not only us telling God what's on our heart, but prayer involves the counterbalance, where we say like Habakkuk is doing, you've heard me, now I need to hear from you. So you've got to have determination. Don't let anything steal your determination to hear the Lord's voice, his will for your life. The second thing is still in verse number one, and forgive me for using the picture speech here, but one must find elevation. Not only determination, but elevation. Look what Habakkuk says. He says, I'm going up on the tower. I'm going to get away from the horizontal noise. I'm going to get alone. I'm going to go up on the tower. I'm going to pursue the heights wherein my God resides, and I am going to get away from it all because I want to be elevated in, what I, uh, in my posture so I may hear the Lord. Now, we don't have to climb on the roof of the building. You, you don't have to get on your house. You don't have to climb Stone Mountain. All of those things are fine. Be careful on the roof, by the way. But all of those things can be, I, I guess, a, a, an aspect of getting away. But how do we find elevation? How do we position ourselves to hear from the Lord? There are some disciplines that can come into the practice here. Now, listen, I'm a praying man, but there are times when praying men and women have to become fasting, pray, uh, fasting and praying men and women. Staying up late in the night, crying out to God when the body's crying out for food, crying out to the Lord when the body's crying out for sleep, crying out to the Lord, and we, we actually find ourselves elevated when we intend to humble ourselves. When we bring ourselves low, God will raise up, uh, us up high. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you at the proper time. And so in Habakkuk's picture of climbing the tower, I would say that in our activity to receive an exalted perspective, to make sure we're in a position to hear the Lord. If you want to be exalted to hear him, then humble yourself intentionally. He will raise up with that which we bring low. So beyond determination and elevation, you've got to purify your inclination. We're talking about receiving vision, not only for our church, but for our lives, the individuals that comprise this this faith family. One must purify his inclination. Look at what Habakkuk says. He says, I'm going to look out to see what he will say to me. So in other words, chapter 1, Habakkuk, talking, 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 God responding, Habakkuk saying, I don't get all of this. Now I have more questions than I do answers. So I'm going to get to a place where I can get quiet with God. I'm going to get into this elevated presence. And now Lord, I want to see what you have to say to me. I'm going to tell you, this needs to become a part of our prayer, the discipline of our prayer lives. Most of the times, because we've read best-selling books by authors who meant well but maybe came up short, they tell us just get into the Lord, and then you start out, and you just open up with confession, then you move straight into praise and worship, and then you're going to go for uh, intercession for those that you love, and then you're going to petition God for yourself, and in 15 minutes, you've done your Christian duty. My friends, that is not how the church has advanced over the centuries. That may be a foundational block that's good for our fifth graders and fourth graders as they begin their journey with Jesus, but I believe better things about you and I. And so when we enter into the presence of the Lord, it's the most important thing we can be doing, but in all of our talking, get still and quiet and listen to what Habakkuk said. Habakkuk said, I want to hear what he has to say to me because he does have something to say to us, does he not? Sometimes when you earnestly seek the Lord... He'll give you several different things. You will hear these things if you make it a habit to earnestly seek the Lord. The first one might be a word of conviction. When God speaks, sometimes he gives a word of conviction. It'll be a deficiency in your life that needs to be addressed. He'll address it in firm love. Sometimes when God speaks, it's a word of caution. He might say a danger in your life is approaching. Because the Holy Spirit knows how to warn you when something is coming against you. Sometimes it's a word of conviction. Sometimes it's a word of caution. Sometimes, hallelujah, I love these, it's a word of comfort. When God the Comforter, the Holy Spirit comes in and he says, this difficulty, this trial, this testing in your life, child of God, is temporary. It will not have the final say. And you have to get still sometimes. Because how many of you know that you're surrounded with people that want you to panic with them? Their panic is addictive, and nobody likes to panic on their own. They've got to bring somebody else into the panic room with them. And so people want you to panic, but if you'll get alone and get a word from the Lord, even though the circumstances may be valid, you have inner peace that passes all understanding. Sometimes it's a word of commission, and I believe God will do this this calendar year with some people in this body. I believe he's going to commission some people. What does that mean? It's a direction in your life. God's saying, this is my vision for you. Like Habakkuk said, take it and run with it. So all of these different things plus plus a 100 things other than what I said, God might do if you will purify your inclination, if you will incline your ear to him, incline your heart to him. We're warned too often in Scripture that there are people who, hearing the words, miss the message. They do not have ears to hear. They do not have hearts to believe. They do not have eyes to see. And yet they have a mind. They have physical ability to hear, physical ability to see, but they don't hear the message of God. Every time when we gather together, one of the reasons we pray over these services is because the most anointed preacher, teacher, or leader can never get to the hardest spot in the audience's life. What is that spot? It is the heart and the will. There's not a skilled enough pastor, preacher, or leader in the world that can yell it long enough, loud enough, or repeatedly enough to where it will move through your ears into your heart. The heart is an area that is superintended and gardened by God the Spirit. And so we pray over these messages and some of you will hear something about your life as you incline your ear unto the Lord. Some will not. Pray for all of us that we all might. And then in the receiving of the vision, Having determination, finding elevation, purifying your inclination, but also you've got to allow for renovation. What do I mean by that? Look at Habakkuk's honest words. He says, I, uh, and he said, I'm going to look to what he will say to me and then what I will answer concerning my complaint. What does that mean? It's a little tricky in the English and it's tricky in the Hebrew, but what he's saying is this. I have said what I have said to the Lord. I'm asking him to respond, and it seems that Habakkuk is saying, I'm probably going to have to respond to his response because I'm probably going to get corrected. He's saying, I'm going to have to give an answer for my complaint. Now, nowhere is it said that God didn't want to hear his complaint. If you have a complaint, talk to the Lord about it. Don't Facebook it, amen. <laughs> Don't get on the phone. Talk to the Lord. The Lord has heard all of my complaints, and the ones that he hasn't heard are the ones that later on I wish I had taken to him. He's the only one that can do something about what you're complaining about, and so that's why we're called to go before him. But Habakkuk knows this. Habakkuk says, yeah, I poured it out to the best of my understanding, but when he's going to answer, he's probably going to clarify some things that I've been cloudy on. He's going to renovate it. That's what happens in vision. Um, I I, I don't want to get so bogged down in particulars this morning, but I, I can tell you there have been a handful of times in my life where God spoke so powerfully and clearly to me. I don't get one every day or even every month or year, but there's been a handful of times where Jesus might as well have been standing right next to me, looking me in the eye. It was that strong. But then the working out of that, what he spoke to me, always contained an element of cloudiness meaning I'd get the headline, but I didn't understand the fine print because he hadn't given it yet. I want you to know something about vision. God will first give you the headline to see if he can trust you with it, and then as he trusts you with it, he'll start filling in the blanks. Lots of people don't make it past the headline because they read the headline, they misinterpret it, they see how it might affect them, they're afraid of it, and therefore they never even make it to the explanation that would have clarified anything because they bolted at the headline. I believe God's persuaded better things of you, me, and this assembly. And so the receiving of a vision is not always clarified in the instant. I love what Dustin said in the 9 a.m. hours we gathered and introduced the elders uh, to the body that was uh, present there. He said, we don't have all the answers yet about what God is doing. And you need to know that. Please know that, that we, myself, Dustin, and the elders and other leaders in this church, we don't even know all the questions yet, much less all of the answers. But we do know the one who is leading. And we have obeyed what he is saying. And we trust that when he wants to clarify, we will have the faith at that moment to obey those clarifying points too. So let's go into the release of the vision. If you're looking for specifics about everything that's going to be happening in this season, uh, at meadow slash then you need to be patient it's not all coming today but i am priming the pump a little bit the release of a vision in verse number two i love these famous words from god first of all habakkuk certify the vision write the vision habakkuk you need to understand what i am saying to you in chapter our chapter one You need to understand what I'm saying to you right now in chapter 2, and you're going to need to understand what I say in chapter number 3. And Habakkuk, this is what I want you to do. I want you to certify it. I want you to regard it as true. I want you to let it be engraven on your heart. I want you to know that my authoritative voice, I am your God. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God of the covenant people. I am the God who is leading you. I'm the God of David. I am speaking to you, and I want you to certify this vision. Um, Again, let me throw a little commentary about the state of affairs in our day. I, I think you know this, especially those of you that are 50 and above, you'll know this, that we live in a renegade, rebellious culture. The issue of authority is despised in our culture. We are now a nation primarily of individuals who view the world as, how does this impact me? And even God-ordained places of authority, governmental authority, school authority, civic authority, ecclesiastical authority, all authority is viewed upon with suspicion. And there seems to be an underlying sentiment of a loophole for every place where we're called to obey authority. People are loophole addicts and they think, I don't have to obey my teacher. I don't have to obey the cops. I don't have to obey my government. I don't have to obey those leaders in my church. I don't have to obey my parents. I don't have to. And that is because for generations we have allowed the whittling away of the concept of biblical authority to now we are a generation of rebels. And so what needs to happen in the church and even in our country, God bless that, if it can be possible in our country, but definitely in the church, we need to be people who are convinced We must become people who say, yes, we have seen the word of the Lord. We have read the word of the Lord. We know the word of the Lord. It doesn't matter what the Republicans, the Democrats, or the Independents say. It doesn't matter what our culture says. It doesn't matter where this special interest group or this one says. It doesn't matter because we see in the word that God has given a vision, a kingdom vision, a kingdom plan, a kingdom pathway, kingdom principles, and a king who reigns over it all, and we will follow him. So when we think on these things, we are told, Habakkuk is told here, certify it, rehearse it in your mind, Habakkuk, understand it, and then engrave it in your heart. Um, Brothers and sisters, I don't know what your convictions are. I just hope they're biblical. It was Leonard Ravenhill who said this about his generation which let's just go back. He might've said it as recently as 40 or 50 years ago, but he said this, there are lions in the land and we are busy hunting mice. This is a generation, your generation. If you're alive, your heart is beating, your brain is still functioning. You're right here right now. This is still your generation. No matter how young or old, you're here for such a time as this. And there are lions all over the land. I'm not even talking nationally so much as I'm just talking about the spiritual climate as we approach the end of the age is anti-Christ. It is against Christ. And there are lions devouring the land and the people of God are busy shooting little mice with pellet guns. And we must abandon lesser loyalties to embrace a kingdom vision. And if that's ever going to happen, guys like me The other leaders in the kingdom have to express the vision and do what he says next. Simplify the vision, Habakkuk. Make it plain. Make it plain. Make it plain. There's a lot of people that are addicted to theology. And by the way, I love theology. But a lot of people want to ever deepen in theology. And some of them want to do so because they want to use it as an excuse for never getting into action. They want to stay in the seminary, stay in the classroom, stay in the hoodie, little holy huddle. And as long as we're growing deep in the Lord, listen, I want to grow deep in the Lord, but the best way to grow deep in the Lord is to use what you already know before you start learning more. Right. And so he is saying here, simplify the vision. We don't have to get more complicated. I mean, listen, I want to grow deep, but I want to move forward and grow deep. I don't want to just burrow down in a hole right where I've been standing the last 10 years. I want to move. I'd rather have a bulldozer in front of me because they can dig deep and go far. I'd rather have that than a drill bit just going down. And so we need to get behind a gospel bulldozer. That means we're going to be walking and moving. You don't need a gospel drill bit that just goes straight down where you've always stood, going deeper and deeper and deeper. No, friends, we need to advance the kingdom. And in order to do that, we've got to make the vision plain. We are doing that this month. We're beginning by priming your hearts today. Next Sunday morning on the 13th, you must be here. Cancel your tea time. Uh, Put your vacation off for five hours. Do whatever you've got to do to come next Sunday morning so you will see visually and hear audibly that this is not a two-man show nor has it been from the very beginning. Dustin and I have had to spearhead much of this, but I'm going to tell you, there's no way we could have done this without aggressive and initiative help from uh, men and women that are here in the congregation. You're going to see so many of them next week. Why? Because we're making the vision plain. We're speaking behind the scenes, recruiting, empowering, and, and dispatching, but now we're also calling everybody to get involved. See, we make the Christian life so complicated. Let me just give you a couple of things here. When we're thinking about our vision and how we're gonna interact here as New Bridge Church in our community with each other among those that are not yet believers in Jesus. We, we have just gone overboard spending hours trying to think of ways to boil it down to uh, communication that we can all understand. I'm gonna give you three quick things. They won't be up on the screen. You can write them down, but if you miss it, you'll hear them again, don't worry. The first is aiming high. How will we behave as we move in gospel ministry? As we interrelate with each other, we're going to aim high. What does that mean? We will shoot for excellence in everything we do. We will will say that we will obey Colossians chapter 3, which says, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Don't do it as unto men. So we will aim for excellence. We will aim high in children's ministry, in youth ministry, in music ministry, in evangelism, in missions, in discipleship, in prayer ministry. As we reach out to our community in benevolence, when we have those opportunities, we will do it with excellence. Why? Because Jesus does everything that he does in excellence. Why would we shoot for less? We'll not only aim high, but we will do so as we are bowing low. What does that mean? We're not going to be the uh, the first church of spiritual hotshots. It's not what we're going to do. We're not looking to be impressive. God's opening up all sorts of doors and giving us influence, and uh, we've got to the television program that i have asked Dustin and I to come on at the end of this month to tell the story of Cornerstone Meadow Newbridge and so God's wanting this to be spread about in our in our, uh, in our community and across the airwaves but let me tell you something at the core of it you've got a group of leaders that are not hot shots we get on our face we weep we tremble yes. we seek God we confess we, we we work through the tough stuff why because we will bow low we are servants. Paul, who was the great architect of two-thirds of the New Testament, saw visions that none of us have ever seen, got caught up to the third heaven and had apostolic power like I've never had or probably you've never had. And and, in the end, Paul said, I'm just a bond slave of Jesus. He introduced himself not as a super strutting apostle, but as the bond servant of Jesus Christ. So we will aim high, we will bow low, and we will also pour it out. What does that mean? Aiming high, excellence in all things. Bowing low an attitude and activity of humble servanthood. Pouring it out, that means we will be initiating kingdom relationships and purposes. Hear me on this. This is very important. We will not sacrifice core doctrines in the name of holding hands. We won't. But we will will also not make everything a core doctrine. Hear me on this especially those of you that came from the fundamentalist background like I did. Not everything is all-consuming and all-important. King David once wrote this, I am a companion of all them who fear you and who love your law. King David, the, the, the fear of God is the Old Testament phraseology for having a redeemed relationship with God, the fear of God in covenant with God. David said, I will be a brother, a companion to all of those that fear you and have a regard for your word, who love your law. And so you've got those two pillars. You've got, do we honor the Word of God and do we honor the God of the Word? And that's going to allow us to let other people be wrong in some areas without us fearing being part of the body of Christ with them. We will partner. If we're ever going to reach our community in Atlanta and Georgia, we cannot sit there chasing mice anymore. We must hunt down lions together. And some days it might be a Baptist and a Pentecostal hunting on the same team. The other days it might be a a Wesleyan and a Methodist hunting on the same team. You may have some non-denominational guy hanging out with a Presbyterian, but they're saying this, there's lions in the land, don't worry about the mice. And so that is a covenant of intentional partnerships and relationships that will stretch us out of the comfort zone that we've relegated ourselves to at times. Certify the vision, Habakkuk simplify the vision. Habakkuk, you need to make it plain on tables. Why? So that you can amplify the vision. Certify it, simplify it, amplify it. What does that mean? You need to communicate it. Write it plain on tables so that the one who runs may read it. That can mean a lot of different things. Great scholars disagree on what this might mean, but the idea is that Habakkuk is so called to make the vision able to be read and understood so that either A, somebody can read it and run into action, get into action with it, or B, somebody that's moving quickly can move past it and yet still understand what it is that God is saying. Either way, this is what it's being told, what he's being told to do. Amplify the vision. Make sure that everybody that's passing through or passing by has an opportunity to understand it and to say yes to the vision that God is giving. We're going to be doing that this month. And on the 20th, in two weeks, we'll take a historical vote right here in this assembly. And we'll say, yes, Lord, we want to do it. You say, Jeff, what if it gets voted down? It won't. But if it did, we'd wait another month and we'd say, Lord, this month we want to do what you want us to do. Because he hasn't given us three options He's guided us in a path, and we're right there at it, but we've got to be able to give it to you so that you can run with us and read it to others. There's four things here that I think we need to know about amplifying the vision. Leaders, hear me on this. Wherever you might lead in influence, firstly, overcomplication will kill motivation. We are not here to set up snafu after snafu after snafu. Listen. I am longing for the day of liberty to hit the body of Christ in such a way that we are not liberated from our responsibilities, but we are liberated into kingdom fullness and joy and pursuits. And one of the things that discourages motivated people is overcomplication. And so your leaders are committed not to complicate things. We have no desire to control you. We have a desire to lead and to serve you and to make sure that we're doing it all together. But we're not going to overcomplicate things. You will start to see some things around here become very simplified. You're probably already seeing it. We're not going to continue this. How can we make it as difficult as possible so that we all all end up getting uh, either discouraged or overburdened? The second thing is this. A shared vision is a multiplied vision. Please know this. Visions are not crafted by man. I'm talking about kingdom visions. They're stewarded by men and women. But they're not, they're not originated with men and women. God has a vision that he passes on to his people. We must steward that vision. And as we do so, uh, one of the elders this morning gave a very honest testimony about how at the beginning of these, the marriage of Cornerstone and Meadow, he struggled initially, but he knew enough of his pastor to say, I'm going to follow my pastor. I don't quite understand why we're doing this. But as time went on and the cloudiness moved into clarity, he was able to say this, now I'm not just following behind my pastor. I am following side by side, by side locking arms and locking shields with my pastor. That's a moving from this. It's moving from, okay, I'm an observer, I'm a a watcher to I'm a participant and moving in. And that's what's got to happen. And so that's why we want to, over the next several months even, continue to rehearse the vision of what God has for us as we move forward. A third thing that we need to know about vision is this. If it's truly a plan from God, you will likely need the participation of others. I can promise you something. This move of the Lord, I believe right from this congregation, is much bigger than a local church movement. There are people in the country and even some people overseas that are querying, they're asking, what are you doing? What's going on? And my answer to them is always this, the better question is, what is God doing What is the Lord doing? All we are able to do is steward the best of our ability to what the Lord is doing. But I'm going to tell you, you've got to recognize this. It's going to include the participation of others, and some of those others are you. Don't be a sideline sitter. Don't be in the stands. Don't even be a fan. Get on the team, get on the field, take some hits, throw some touchdowns, spike some balls in celebration from time to time, but don't watch others do it. And by the way, I think this goes without saying, if you're not yet convinced, then don't speak against those who are. If you're not yet convinced, you have that right, ask God to show you clearly, but never ever let your voice raise up against something. Do you remember what Gamaliel said in, in light of the early church? The Hebrews were wanting to come against the early church. They were wanting to punish and crucify the church, and they had captured a couple of the apostles. And they were saying, we got to put an end to this. And Gamaliel, who was not a follower of Jesus, said this. Let me just tell you something right here, guys. If this work is not of the Lord, it'll putter out. It'll fall to the ground. It'll never work. If it's not of the Lord, we won't have to worry about it. It'll just be like the other case studies that said they were of God and they failed. It'll be just like that. So if it's not of God, don't worry about it. And then he says this, but if it is of God, he says, we would do well not to fight against it. Amen. I don't even need to apply that. I don't need to unpack that at all. So one of the most spiritual things I can do when I'm not yet convinced is I just get real quiet. There is something spiritual about saying, okay, I don't know if I'm for it, I don't know if I'm against it, but I do know how to be quiet and just wait and see what the Lord will do. Hey, that wasn't in the notes, but that was actually, I think that landed where it needed to land. I hope you're encouraged by it. And so let's get down into the last two verses. Oh, wait, let me give you this. A vision that never involves action is nothing more than a daydream. That's tweetable, by the way. A vision that never involves action is nothing more than a daydream. Listen, I love idea men. I love idea women. We got a bunch of them over the years that have come through Meadow. But but listen, you got to have more than an idea. You got to have a plan of action. And an idea or a vision that doesn't ever get backed by action, you're just sitting around dreaming. You're wasting God's time. He doesn't need time, but he gives it to us, and we're wasting it when all we talk about is what we could do. Listen, this is a season to march. This is not a season just to check out the marching band uniforms. This is a season to march and to play and to beat a drum and move in a direction. And so that is what your leaders are doing here. That's what so many of you that maybe don't hold a position of leadership, but you're moving forward. You're going to see new faces at the front door, new faces ministering in our prayer ministry as that kicks off in the next month. We're talking about missions. We're talking about evangelism. We're talking about discipleship. We are saying if you're ready to work, if you're ready to serve, if your heart is, is inclined unto the Lord, we want to know who you are. We want bring you in. And conversely, I say this as gently as I can. If you're just sitting around daydreaming, if you're just sitting around talking and theorizing about it, we'll let you daydream all day long, but you're going to need to step aside to do it because we are ready to march. We got a community that is getting bombarded from every angle. We got people that are depressed. We got people that are sick. We got people that are dying. We got homes that are splintering apart. We've got sexual orientation of every sort ramping up in great depravity in our culture homosexual, heterosexual, pedophilia, all of this stuff. And the church is chasing mice. And those days have got to be over for all of us as the body of Christ. Why? Because, man, He made you for something way bigger than perpetual debate. Anybody sick of the presidential debates yet? Yeah. You have a right to be. Those things are, I'm over it, ad nauseum. I'm done. I mean, I'm just like, good night. Let's teleport to November and deal with whatever we got to deal with. See, our hope is not in who wins. It really isn't. Listen, will it make a difference? Yeah, for good or for worse, it probably will make a a significant difference. But are you going to spend the next eight months tied up in knots, putting all the kingdom callings on our lives on pause while we wait to figure out what kind of tax effect there's going to be or moral effect or Supreme Court's going to get appointed. Come on, man. We are citizens of an everlasting kingdom. We already have an everlasting ruler, and that's the one we're getting our marching orders from. And so we'll get down to the last couple of verses. And uh, I call this the resilience of a vision. You need to know that you have to have resilience when you move into a commitment to live out God's vision. It's, it's not, a, okay, I made my commitment, and it's just all well-oiled from that point on, all obstructions are taken out of the way. Some of you have a, I'm, I'm gonna get to the text in a minute. Some of you have a call on your life. You've had a calling on your life, and you're doubting that calling because it's been opposed severely. Some of you, God did give a vision to He did make something clear to you. It might've been months ago or years ago, but he spoke to you and yet life happened and that vision didn't just materialize on its own. You understood the headline, but you couldn't figure out how to make it work in the fine print. So you just folded up the paper and said, we'll get to it later. It happens to churches too. We can lose our way. We can lose our vision. We can lose our sense of, uh, of sovereign direction as God leads us. And so one of the things that must happen, and, and I say this, and I'll just say it, I'll speak forward and into the future. The people of Newbridge must remain resilient. What is the definition of resilient? Because it's not a term we use all the time. So let me just give you that. It's the ability of a thing to recover its size and shape after deformation caused by compressive stress. Leave that up there for a second. Resilience is the ability of a thing to recover its size and shape after deformation caused by compressive stress. That means you're going to get squeezed. You're going to get pressed. You're going to even get stretched in opposite directions. You may, they, somebody may try to box you in or, or smother you out. There there are going to be weights that will be laid upon you as you seek to live out the vision of God Almighty for your life. There are going to be people that don't believe in you and they're going to try to pull pieces of that vision out of you. But resilience in the Holy Spirit is this. I am convinced that my God is for me. I am convinced that my God is leading me and I will trust him to put me back into the shape he wants me to be in when everything else is trying to pull me out of it. And I believe that's a word for some of you here today. Some of your homes have been hit rocked. I mean, been rocked hard. Your children, your spouse, your grandchildren have just come under the direct bullseye of the enemy. And I want to tell you something. That's not coincidence. Because even the enemy has been watching humanity long enough to where he even can know when somebody's got an anointing and calling on their lives. And he can see it, and he will come double time against that woman or that man, and he will leave others without that kind of mark on their lives alone. So when when you're getting hammered, when you're getting stretched, when you're getting pounded, when you're getting suppressed or oppressed or rejected or, or picked apart, I want you to know something. Call on the God of all creation to give you resilience in the midst of your pursuing his will. So what does it look like? A lot of it, friends, is a word we don't like. Waiting. Waiting. I dare you to say it. Waiting. Pick a different word, Jeff, okay? Patiently waiting. (sighs) I'm not good at it. I'm better at it than I was when I was in my 30s, but I'm not good at it. You know how you get better at it? By doing it. You know when you're going to do it? When God doesn't give you any other option. We don't wait when we don't have to. I mean, there might be a couple of three-toed sloths in the crowd today, but most of us are, are, we're moving. We want to do something. Well, let's look at it. When we're talking about vision, this is incredibly important, and I, I, I literally am just about done. Be aware of God's timing. It's the hardest part of the Christian life, isn't it? It really is for me. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. He does the appointing. And he usually doesn't give you specifics about when the appointment's going to take place, but he tells you to abide and occupy until it comes to you, and you'll know it when it comes. I'm going to give you, at the risk of being misunderstood, I'm going to share something with you that I've never shared in 21 years of preaching from the pulpit. I don't even know that I've had more than two or three conversations about this moment in my life with individuals. It had to have been around 1996, probably about early spring 1996. I had been saved a couple of years. I was still working my full-time job at, at a financial service company. But I was pursuing the Lord with every waking moment that I had. I was not yet married. I had no other obligations. So I was eating my Bible, spiritually speaking, eating my Bible. I was praying. I was fasting. And I was just pursuing the Lord. And I was renting a house in Decula from a guy who had had some rough spots and had to move out of his house, but he, he didn't have it paid off. So he, he rented me this really big house, like five bedrooms, really nice neighborhood. And so I'm just living there, kind of the caretaker while I'm working my job. And I remember it was a sunny afternoon and I was on the floor pl- praying And I didn't even believe in the gifts of the Spirit back then, by the way. This was, I was like full-blown cessationist, good old Baptist boy, did not believe in anything other than God's Word and God's sovereignty, and that was it. But I remember kneeling there on the floor, and I was just praying. I remember I was weeping just over a passage of Scripture that I was reading. I was deeply burdened, and I heard, not with the audible ear, but it was better than the audible ear. It was in me. I heard the Lord say, it is coming. That's all he said. It is coming. This is like 19 years ago. It is coming. So immediately I knew something had happened. I had no grid for it whatsoever. I'm like, what's coming, Jesus? Tell me now. And he didn't say another word. <laughs> Nothing. When, when I was uh, searching for a wife and calling out to the Lord, and God actually spoke my heart and, and told me I didn't have to look anymore because I had found her. And, of course, it was... Amy samples of Alpharetta and I knew and I thought maybe that's what he's talking about. She is coming. She is coming. That's what he meant to say. And 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 I knew right away that's not he wasn't referring to me getting married. When my first child, Alicia, came into the world, I thought, maybe that's it. Now I'm a daddy. Okay. That's what it is. And, and I knew within a short time, no, that wasn't it. And then when I, when I became pastor of Meadow, I thought, for sure, it was a ministry statement. That's what it is. It's that I'm now going to be a pastor. And that wasn't it. Then when we moved up here and God started blowing up things, it was, Beautifully chaotic for a while. And we had people being saved and people coming in. It was glorious. I thought, this is it. He's expanding and enlarging my coast. But it was never an affirming word. Never. God never said, yep, that was it, Jeff, until a couple of weeks ago. Three weeks ago, I am praying. And with the same conviction that I heard 19 years ago, it is coming. I heard the Lord say, this is it. So brothers and sisters, when I'm talking about cloudiness to clarity and God's timing, sometimes you have to wait 19 years. Yes. And the only way we get to do that is by faith. But, and I'll speak more to that moment later, but not in this message, but at a different time. But the fact that in 19 years, he picked up the conversation where he had left it off. By his grace, I was aware of its certainty. Next point, be aware of the vision certainty. If it's from God, the calling, the vision, the opportunity, the open door, if it's from God, it hastens to the end. That means it moves to its intended ultimate outcome. It will not lie. It won't rest there. It won't remain untrue. It will not remain unfulfilled. If it's from the Lord, it will be done. It will be done. If he gives you a word, ask Abraham. Abraham, you're going to have descendants, as many as the stars of the uh, sky and the seas. uh, You know the story. You're going to have a bunch of kids. (laughs) He said, Abraham, it's going to happen. And Abraham checked his biological clock, and then he checked Sarah's, and he realized it's not going to happen uh, naturally. And then God made him wait years and years and years and years and years and years. And then came Isaac. See, if it's of the Lord, it will happen. But you probably ought to put away your stopwatch. And you probably ought to make up your mind that you believe that his delays are not the same thing as his denials. And you probably ought to say, Lord, when it comes, let me have faith to know it. And so here he says, it will surely come, it won't delay. In other words, it won't be unfulfilled forever. And then the last thing, the resilience of a vision be aware of his timing, be aware of its certainty. And be aware of your need for patience. I love my Bible. Look at what your Bible says. If it seems slow, and doesn't it? Doesn't, doesn't life sometimes seem slow? If it seems slow, wait for it. Wait for it. Notice he didn't say, figure out a way to make it happen on your own. Abraham did that, by the way. And that's why there's a war raging in the Middle East right now between the sons of the bond slave's child and the sons of promise. Wait for it. Well, How do I wait for it, Lord? What's the rest of what is said there? The righteous will live by faith. One of the strongest displays of your faith and my faith is to hold our position. You, you have this fight or flight instinct, adrenaline spiritually surging. We're living in a generation where a lot of Christians are giving in to the flight temptation. And they move on to where there's a lesser intense conflict. They move with their ease addiction to a place that's familiar and comfortable and conducive. And by the way, there's not much of a fight going on there because it's no threat to the enemy's territory. It's just a place to go and retire. This assembly, is being called of God to say goodbye to lesser loyalties. We will not be a denominational church. Just understand that. And let me tell you why. I think it warrants an explanation. Because there's no need to be a denominational church if you're a New Testament church. If Either the Bible is sufficient or it's not. And so we will go well beyond Baptist assemblies, God, Presbyterian, Lutheran, you name it. We're just gonna go beyond all that. We don't hold ill will towards anybody from that stripe or that remains in churches like that. No, listen, we've already preached today about how we wanna unite with everybody that fears God and honors his word. But at the same time, your pastors here and your elders sense a strong calling of God to say goodbye to all lesser loyalties so that we might have our complete commitment, not to a denomination, Not to communicate to our our community, by the way, we are this type of Christian. Because listen, some people ride by a church sign that says Meadow Baptist, and they're like, killer, I want to go there. A lot of people ride by and say, Baptist, never. And so it it speaks to our community, too. We don't want to be relegated to a a, a box in the kingdom. We want to walk in all of the kingdom. So, with the Word of God as our guide and the power of the Holy Spirit as what fuels us and brings fruitfulness in us, we will move forward into the more specific aspects of God's vision. By the way, it's consistent with what we find in Scripture. We are to make disciples under the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't make a disciple until their birth is a spiritual baby. So evangelism, discipleship, advancing the gospel, loving for and caring one another, it's been the mission of the church for 2,000 years, and your pastors and leaders aren't trying to improve upon it. It is God's vision for us. How we make that happen involves a lot of strategy, and that will be coming up in weeks to come. Would you stand with me? Worship team, can you come? From cloudiness to clarity. Again, a lot of questions that haven't been answered and can't be answered right now. You know why? God's still calling you to discern the headline. Can he trust you with the headline? Hey, look, this is either something he's doing or it isn't. And if it's not, we have really... um, mortgaged our lives and our functionality as the two local assemblies on something that isn't God's will. Now that's, that's actually a theoretical statement I make. It's not true. But if this is of the Lord, then there is something in the midst of it for you. Some aspect of this that God will parcel out to you and he'll say, daughter, this is yours. Don't worry about anything else. I want you to strive for excellence in this. I give it to you. I trust it to you, my daughter. He'll say, son, And this one is yours. Don't worry about what I just gave my daughter. This is yours. This is what I'm giving you to do. I trust you with it. Take it. And he's going to do that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times over in this assembly. And then eventually it'll be thousands of times in this assembly. Great things are about to happen. But we have to look at the headline and say, I believe God wrote that. That's not Dustin's handwriting. That's not Jeff's handwriting. I believe God has done this because only God could do this. And so, Lord, I read the headline. You've made it plain to me. I receive it. I certify it in my heart. And, Lord, I ask you now, do something great in the fine print through my life.